Welcome to part two of my interview with stage doctor Trevor Martin. Uh, we start this one giggling because uh, the last episode ended with us talking about Laurence Olivier playing Father Christmas. Have a listen to that if you haven't, and if you have, here's the continuation. I had uh, three children at that time, little ones, and uh, we were at the party. And uh, my <laughs> youngest daughter, every time he gave, read out the name of, of somebody who's got a present, she went forward to get it. <laughs> oh but he had this, his son was very small at that time, and it was a case of could he put it over his son? And his son, <laughs> his son looked at him, you know, think, I've got an idea, I know this bloke. And it was very funny. Got away with it. Wow, well, that's, that's acting then. If you're yes. a kid, you're, only kid you're, not, you're not Father Christmas. And what about O'Toole's Hamlet then? What was, because what was, I mean, he was a raw talent then, I guess, was he? That, that well, he just finished. Um, uh, 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 Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. And, um, oh, he, he was big name. And, uh, he was expected to be the, you know, replacement for Olivia in the end. There were several, you know, there was a group of them, you know. And then, for some reason or another, they didn't do it. I don't know why they didn't do it. Because they were all very, very good. But anyway, uh, <laughs> he, he, he was an absolute rogue. Uh, I, I love him. <laughs> he, <laughs> I, I don't know that his Hamlet was that brilliant. But as a, a, a funny man, he was... Um, I did another play with him. Well, I did several with him, but one of them was a thing called Baal by Bertolt Brecht. Oh, yeah. And uh, it has a cast of 90, I think. No, no, no management can produce this these days. So what happens is you, you cast about three people in the leads, but everybody else has to play half a dozen parts. Well, each of us had to play three parts. Fine. So we rehearse that and do that. But of course, then you have to have understudies. And you under, everybody understudies everybody else in those. So I, the chap I was understudying was off one night. So, fine. So I go on and start, and I start my own partner, I come off, and I have to go on soon afterwards as he's one of his well, and I come on, and I go on again as my partner. And the fourth time I come on, O'Toole goes, and then he carries on with the play. And then the next time, because of course it's tight, you, the only way really you can do it is to change hats. Which <laughs> that old acting stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> so, so. Uh, we get to a point where he uh, 
I, I come on again for another part, and he goes, It's him again! <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I but do, do you think that sort of roguish quality that you alluded to is perhaps one of the reasons why some of these actors didn't take over the mantle from Olivier because raw talent is one thing, but actually raw talent that doesn't get fulfilled is often because it overspills into um, the actor's life in the sense that, you know, mm. O'Toole was a hellraiser, so was Richard Harris. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a yeah. lot of these very talented people put their energies into other things. is the trouble. Mm. Yes, perhaps he couldn't discipline himself, I don't know. I thought he was a great actor, and uh, and I was expecting him to be a knight by now. Mm. But, but the whole, I mean, the whole of that, that those companies in those in the 60s is, for, if you look at the original cast of Royal Hunt of the Sun and you've got actors like James Mellor and Michael Turner. Ah, James. We were, we, Jamie, James Mellor and I was particularly friendly. Really? Yeah. And we used to go on holidays together, his family and mine. Right, because he did a couple of Doctor Who's. Uh, he did one with Petra Trout and one with John Perkins. Did he? Yeah. yeah. Mm. I couldn't... He died very suddenly, very young. Mm. Not yet, he died in 1973, I think. Was it? Yeah. I don't know what he died of. Well, in Bruce Purchase's autobiography, Bruce mentions that because I think he was in the company around that mm, time as well, mm. that he was a big drinker and that had something to do with it. Oh, he was a big drinker. <laughs> and that was... I'll tell you a story about Jimmy Mellor. Yeah. Uh, as, as we know, he used to go out drinking a lot at night. And now I can't remember what the play was, but it was... Uh, it was the opening night was going to be the, the next night. So he was being very careful not to get drunk. Oh, he, he, made, no, he made that stipulation with himself that this time he was not going to get drunk. And he didn't. And in Trafalgar Square, uh, he, yes, in Trafalgar Square, it was late, he was leaving the Buxton, and uh, he stepped off the pavement and missed the pavement, calling a taxi. He missed the pavement and fell flat on his face in the gutter. And before he could say jackknife, he was whipped away as being drunk. <laughs> and he was put in, in jail, you see, I mean, to sleep it off overnight. That's right. It was on a Friday or Saturday. Or and he knew he, had to be, he would be in over the weekend before he saw the magistrate. And this thing was on Monday. He had to be there for Monday. And so he, he said to them, you know, Look, you've got a uh, ring, ring Sir Lawrence Olivier. <laughs> and they said, oh, yes, son. <laughs> I was, uh, well, I love all of this stuff. This is, you know, meat and drink to me. The amount of theatre that you've done is extraordinary, isn't it? Well, I was, I've been extremely lucky. I remember uh, from the time I started in 53, the first time I had three months out of work it was 1983. My goodness. I was working solidly ever from 53 to 83. Blimey. And uh, I got very twitchy. 
after being out for about three months, two and a half months or something, in, 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 80, in 83. And that's a little story in itself, because uh, we, we, we booked for, I said, come on, let's, we'll have a holiday. Well, this is just a thing that one has difficulty as an actor, if you're looking to work. You don't take, book a holiday up ahead, because you get a job. Yeah. So I got so fed up, I thought, all right, fine, I'll love uh, Let's go and have a holiday for, for a change since it's done. And um, so we went, we booked to go to uh, somewhere in Morocco. My agent rings. They want you to go up to Manchester for an interview from Coronation Street. So I got up to Manchester for an interview, and I have the interview uh, on the, the Monday, and I come back on the train, and she said, rang up on the Tuesday and said, um, well, they're interested. They'd like you to go up again on Wednesday. So I go up on the Wednesday, and lo, I get the job to find that it starts not the following Monday, but the Monday after, and we've got a fortnight's holiday. But I can't turn it down. No. Off we go on the Friday, and it's one of these package deals. And I sort of make my point that I want that we want to come back after a week. Oh, we can't do that. But in the end, they, I told them, well, you know, I told them what it was. Oh, worst. <laughs> <laughs> so they let me come back after a week, and but but my wife couldn't. She had to stay and enjoy her holiday. It's. I always think it's 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 hard, isn't it? To um, it's 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 a job that requires a great deal of understanding from from a partner. Oh. Yes. I don't think people appreciate what the other half of a of a, an acting group have to go through. If that, especially if that... You see, my wife was an actress too, but she gave it up in order that we could actually eat a bit. Yeah. And, and which I'm very grateful for. And, and what annoys me, what is so sad in so many cases, is when somebody actually cracks it and they buzz off and go off with somebody else. Yeah. And I think that's, that's very, very sad. But who, so who is an actor when you're in a company with, the, you know, the Blakelys, and we've mentioned Olivier, yeah. but, but, but with some of those amazing actors that have been through the RSC and the National in the many years that you've worked with them, who are the actors that you know you've you've perhaps admired the most, or you've enjoyed working with the most? And I know that those two things can be separate entities. Well, I have a whole lot of of actors that I admire and love for different reasons. Um, usually, n not necessarily to do with acting. Yeah. For example, Ian McKellen was playing Richard II and Edward II, yeah. and I was in that company. 
We toured mostly in this country, but we also toured abroad for the British Council, a lot. And uh, we used to get entertainment, you see. And, and so one day, uh, we, they'd been on tour for a bit, and, Derek, and, 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 and uh, Ian said, um, well, that was a, a great do last night, wasn't it? This and uh, Chappie was talking to him and said, which is what we're not asked. I mean, we, we, we're only, you know... He says, well, that's not fair. I've been to six of these. How many have you been to? None. Hmm. So then he goes to the management and he says, look, uh, next time we get invited, say six, they want six people to come to dinner, we'll have three of the leads, if you like, but we'll have three of the carers as well. And we'll change around and see. Wow. And that was the system from then on. Bless him. And I thought, good on you. Yeah. I thought. Yeah. I thought. I thought it's that a proper was, company uh, man, isn't it? Yeah, that was great. And another uh, another actor that I I, I love and Timmy West. Oh yeah. Timmy and, and Prue. Now, I had an un. Uh, although the the work was going all right. I had uh, an unfortunate sort of, uh, well, romantic disaster. Uh, and uh, I, I suddenly found myself one year facing Christmas with uh, no television, uh, no bed actually, uh, no kettle, no nothing, because... <laughs> The lady had gone off with all of them. Um, but, and he said, oh, what are you doing for Christmas? I said, oh, I don't know. What it amounted to was I was going, I'd got myself a couple of chops, uh, and, uh, and, and that was going to be, and a, <laughs> and a pound of beer, and that was going to be Christmas. But I, I and somehow he found out and he told Prue, and she said, you can't do that. Now, most people are very good, and they have friends over for Boxing Day. But Christmas Day is usually confined to the family. And they insisted on me going to them for the whole of Christmas Day and join their family. And I thought, that's... Very nice of you, actually. And uh, I'm interested because you did Olivier's Othello and then you did Ben Kingsley's Othello. Now, that's two very different actors, I yes, guess. I also did... Um, uh, uh, Topple. Topple's uh, Othello, my goodness. Yes. Three very different actors. So, Olivier, Topple and Ben Kingsley. Yes. Um, all different kinds of egos, I would think, but... Yes. Yes, now, there's an example. Uh, uh, how can I put it? I thought, uh, taking, taking uh, between, say, Topple and Sir Lawrence, at the end of uh, Sir Lawrence's performance, one thought, what a fantastic performance. 
how well done that was. The end of Topol's performance, I thought, you poor b****. <laughs> you know, as Othello. Right, so Olivier, the acting, you saw the acting? I saw the acting there. Topol, you saw the man? Yes. You done so much on stage but your, your your television career has 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 so do you remember some of your your sort of early tellies in the in the 60s that you enjoyed yeah well the people behind the camera think it's going to be marvelous to have the immediacy of live television they have no conception of the abstract abject terror <laughs> of the actor in front of the camera because when you're on stage, it does occasionally happen that you forget a line or word. Well, if you forget a word or something like that, you can, on stage, cover it by business, by walking around, doing something. In television, you can't do that. You've got a position. You've got everything set on that. You, they make a cross on the road, on the floor, and you've got to be there, and, and the camera's on you. And what happens is you forget the line, and without meaning to, your eyes go, oh, my God, <laughs> <laughs> uh, while you're trying to sort of think what to do. Now, television is very much an eye medium. Um... Uh, a couple of the best actors I can think of on television, Kitchen. Michael Kitchen. Michael yeah. Kitchen. Yeah, I think he's terrific. And he doesn't appear to do anything. There was a chap, and his name is, escapes me now because he's gone about ten years ago. I can't remember what he was. That he was also exactly the same. Brilliant on it looked as if he wasn't doing anything, but you as an audience knew exactly what was going through his head. Mm. And it's all through the eyes. And uh, and, so, and so if it's possible to convey that through the eyes, real terror in the eyes is also obvious. Of course. So it's going to pick up on the actors. It's going to pick up. I mean, the audience is going to say, "Oh, that's in there." What's the matter with him? <laughs> so, going back to the early days when it was all live. I mean, in Z cars, I can remember the fights we used to have. Uh, you know, as goodies and baddies. <coughs> to make a fight look good. And at the same time, keep an eye on the cross on the road to know where you're going to end up. It's difficult. And one, I... Some years later, when, when we got past all this business of life, tell me, there was a chap who devised a, a play for children, a, a series for children, and it was, uh, I can't remember what the title of it was, but it went out from Bristol. And what they did was, they, somebody wrote the first episode, 
and we all played the first episode, and then the children were asked to write back and t- say what, how it ought to go on. Okay, what should the, should be the next part of the story? And that was by they had to get the letters in by Wednesday or something, or and anyway. The, the author, the, uh, the the writer, had to sit up all night on Thursday writing the darn thing. And in the Friday morning, we came up from London to Bristol and got the script to do it on the Monday. And, uh, and it was live. And uh, I was playing a part called Tin Chin. Because I had a... Tim, Tim. Uh, <laughs> that's sort of original. And uh, I can remember one day there was, I don't know what it was, what the scene was about, but there was a, there was supposed to be a boiler, a big, there was a big boiler thing, on, on a trestle. Uh, well, it was put on a trestle. I don't know this, what it was supposed to be, but it was here, and here we were, and it came off the trestle in the middle of the shot going out and one of the one of the the stage crew with terrific presence of mind flung himself across the floor on his back caught it and held it for the whole of the scene while we carried on acting but you I mean, is he gonna? What's gonna happen to the? Oh, he's got it. What's? Is he gonna hold it? Oh, well, you know, the the panic in one's head is quite fantastic at these times. Sure. I, it was very really quite tiring. Well, something that fascinates me is that. Again, I've spoken to a lot of actors during this process, but a great many of them stopped acting at a certain point. And so their views on the industry and on the quality of what is produced now are, I think, sometimes tinged by the fact that they stop doing the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as somebody like yourself, I mean, you, know, you call the midwife a current show you've been in, you know. Yeah. Um, do, do you think the changes that have happened in the profession and within theatre, and I think particularly television have been detrimental to the quality of the product or has time have times just changed and we still do as good stuff as we ever did? Oh, right. Well, there are there are pluses and minuses. Um to my mind. One of the pluses was that in the old days, when we majority of us worked in things like rep, well, the standard of rep may, may have been quite low, you know, with the best will in the world. If you can't give a highly polished performance after one week. Um, but at least it taught you how to cope with life on the stage. And it also, because it was on the stage, if you couldn't be heard at the back, you were told by people in places like Chorley and <laughs> and Howell, uh, you, you, you didn't get away with it. And uh, 
nowadays I find it may I, I it may be that my ears are not as good as they were, but I do try my best with these things, and uh, it's it started with American films. I, I I do wish they would put subtitles on American films because uh, it's all right, and I'm sure I don't I'm sure I don't understand. Well, and I think, what the hell's going on? And now it's got into British television, and I can't. I can understand most of the men, but women, I find extremely difficult, and so does my wife. Extremely difficult to understand what they're saying. And the production of voices nowadays is like that. Oh, it all started in America, we all talked in the back of their throats like that. And that's not really very good for your throat because you end up with uh, nodules and things like that. And you can't be understood anyway. And, 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 and there's no, no, no wrong things. And, it's, and you think, is it me or is it them? And then you get somebody, some actress, I don't know, take what do you like, Helen Mirren, and then she comes up, you, yeah, I can understand what you're saying, kid. Mm. Yeah. There's a reason there's training and uh, yeah. the experience. And uh, you, you can hear what they're saying. Mm. And if you can't hear what people are saying, what's the point of watching it? Yeah. But, well, look, I've promised to buy your lunch, so I'm, we're going to do that, and we're going to take the pressure off by turning the microphone off and okay. doing this far more quickly. So we'll just, we'll, well, you've got no regrets, though, I take it, from, as, as an actor, no unfulfilled ambitions? Oh, I feel... I feel I should have got further it. But I think most actors do. I've never really... I've never sold, been able to sell myself. I don't know why. I, mean, I, I hear my some of colleagues who write to producers all the time and, and, and ring people up. I've never done it. I couldn't do it. I, 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 I thought that's why I'm supposed to have an agent, isn't it? Mm. Maybe I haven't got the right age. I don't know. Ah, no, I'm, I'm That's the other actor's lament. Yeah, yeah well, quite, exactly. Well, like, like John Gilgood, when he was 94, he sort of said to some friend or other, do you think I'll change my age because I haven't had a job for six months? <laughs> um, and the final question is, this, this podcast was started ostensibly... Uh, because Doctor Who was 50 years old in 2013, but I've, I've broadened the remit and carried on doing it. Yeah. Um, so what is the, but, but Doctor Who seems to hang over everything. What is your message to those doughty Doctor Who fans out there who listen to these podcasts? Well, I, I, I have great admiration for them, really. They sort of seem to know so much more about it than I do. <laughs> no, um, I think Doctor Who is a good idea, really, because most of Doctor Who is trying to get the right thing done by the right people, uh, as opposed to a lot of 
a lot of American similar sorts of programs, it always seems to be force which is winning. And in Doctor Who, force is not the thing which wins. It, the, the, the case is often what is right. And I, I'm all for things to be, it's got to be fair. Mm. I think life is, you've got to try and make it as fair as you, you can. And I think Doctor Who does well. I think that's as good an epitaph as we can give Doctor Who as any. Trevor Martin, for your time, thank you so very much. Pleasure. My thanks to Trevor. Uh, his charity, which he didn't name there because he wanted to think about it, uh, well, he said anything to do with Alzheimer's. So I've picked here the Alzheimer's Society, who are www.alzheimer's, A-L-Z-H-E-I-M-E-R-S, alzheimer's.org.uk. But if you have an Alzheimer's charity that you prefer, of course, choose that one. Uh, anything, uh, of course, helps as little or as much as you can would be much appreciated, especially as I am going to, I'm afraid, say that I am running the Manchester 10K in uh, aid of Triple C, which is a charity set up by my other half, uh, which enables uh, disabled people to get access to drama that they otherwise would not get. It's a relatively new charity that uh, she set up and needs all the funding it can get, and that's why Tweedy Wheezy Old Me is uh, putting myself to the sword, well, it's the equivalent, by uh, running 10K. I don't even know what a K is, but I'm running 10 of them. Uh, at the end of May. Uh, so I have a Just Giving page, Just Giving, Toby Haydock, H-A-D-O-K-E. Uh, anything that you could give uh, to get me to my target would be much appreciated. So that's Just Giving, Toby Haydock's Just Giving page. Uh, you'll find it online. Even if every listener to Who's Round gave a quid, I might just make my target, and that would make my near-death experience all the more worthwhile. In the meantime, uh, thanks for listening, and there'll be another one of these along pretty soon. Take care. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Doctor Who. The Fourth Doctor Adventures. The Haunting of Malkin Place. Thomas and I are on our way to a most definite case of haunting. An isolated house called Malkin Place. Two residents, Beatrice and Morris, 23 years old. Very strange goings on. Oh, oh God. Beatrice. Oh. What is it? Someone's coming. Who's there? There. No. Coming over the marsh. Not possible. The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. It's good you're reading the best literature from this period of Earth's history. Is that noise again? From the attic. Look, it's a venerable old townhouse. It's bound to make some odd noise. Are you worried it's haunted? That's it. I'm going up there. It's fine, Romana. Do you know who's up there? If you must know, I wrote myself a little note. Dear Doctor, don't go up to the attic. Best wishes, the Doctor. <laughs> and if there's one person I trust absolutely, it's myself. Stop! Nobody move. Definite cold spot. And strongest just Ooh. here. Welcome, welcome. Thank you all for gathering. We are 
are speaking to the spirits present in this house. Who's tormenting me? It's a trick. It must be. I share your suspicion. Big Finish. We love stories.